0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Reasonably Outrageous from cars to closets. Blake and Matt have you covered. I myself recording from my vehicle as other people in my apartment complex give me strange looks at the man with a mic and a laptop and a phone set up in a car that is not turned on. Matt coming straight from his girlfriend's closet right next to a kitty litter box. We are uh, living large, Matt. This is gonna pay off uh, one day when we can get our a nice fancy studio one of these days where we can live in the same city and, and dream big. But for now, we are putting in the grunt work in interesting places. How you doing?
1: Pretty good, man. Yeah, just soaking up this smell of kitty litter next <laughs> to me. Um, <laughs> it's not an ideal location for sure, but I'm just glad to be back on the grind with you and yeah. uh, getting a couple of shows a week. And we got I know. Super Bowl week, man. I mean, we Dude. got a ton of shit to talk about.
0: I know, yeah, our first week back in a while with two podcasts, so thankfully we were able to fit this into our schedules and hopefully keep grinding through, but you're right, we are going to cover all three major sports, and yes, I say three, there is not a fourth, sorry, hockey. Uh, We (laughs) are going to talk a little bit about, of course, Super Bowl week, I mean, God, you know, I want to start off there before, and we're going to cover, of course, we're going to talk some baseball and basketball later on. It doesn't feel like Super Bowl week. I don't know why. Maybe because there hasn't been any like crazy storylines that have come out this week. But leading up to it, I feel like there's always something that's you know maybe controversial or a headline that pops out. Maybe it's in Miami. People are always in Miami partying it up. It just doesn't seem like it's Super Bowl week. I don't know if you felt the same way.
1: Well, working at NBC Sports Washington, it's been Kyle Shanahan week. Ah, there you go. Uh, with just all of these pieces coming out about how... The Redskins are sitting at home while Shanahan's coaching in the Super Bowl. I mean, I've just been having that storyline regurgitated over mm-hmm. and over again. And our, our Redskins talk crew, uh, the Redskins podcast people from NBC Sports Washington, are down in Miami right now. So we've been handling a bunch of stuff oh. from them. Uh, so I've ha- it's felt like Super Bowl week to me, but only because I've just been gotcha. so wrapped up in everything that's been going on.
0: All right, and if the trend follows, uh, the Jaguars, with Jay Gruden as their offensive coordinator, will be in the Super Bowl next year, so you'll have more to talk about then as well, too. But uh, (laughs) speaking of Kyle Shanahan, we'll dive right into that, because that's where we're going to go first, and we'll, of course, give our picks at the end of this conversation. Uh, Very interesting... Uh, head coaching matchup for the Super Bowl. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, last time he was in the Super Bowl, he had a very comfortable 28-3 lead, uh, and and saw that uh, kind of evaporate. Of course, not. You know, it's not like he's running the defense, but he wasn't able to put anything on uh, going on offense in the second half, and made some questionable play-calling decisions. Uh, and, and so now he is back in the grand stage, trying to avenge what was a, um, a just a massive collapse, the biggest collapse in, in Super Bowl history. And meanwhile, on the other side, we've got Andy Reid. Um, you know, considered one of the better head coaches of all time, but coming into this Super Bowl, the most regular season wins or the most combined regular season and postseason wins of a head coach without a Super Bowl victory. So both of these guys have a lot on their line, a lot on the line heading into this week. Shanahan, obviously, you know, many years younger than Andy Reid, but taking a look at this matchup, Matt, who is would this win be more important for who, who has got the most riding on this game uh, between both head coaches?
1: Well, at first you have to think Andy Reed, just because he's been so close so many times in his career. And like you said, he's just racked up, you know, so many wins, between the Eagles and the Chiefs and for him to not have that elusive Super Bowl it kind of reminds you of Dusty Baker who's in uh, the news right now having just been hired by the Astros to bend his their mm-hmm. skipper. He has the 15th most wins all time and ev- all but one of the managers ahead of him on that list are either uh, in the Hall of Fame or have won a World Series so he's kind of wow. like, one of the two two managers in that group. I don't remember who the other one is to not have it so you know a, a lot of pressures on him to do that in Houston and you kind of look over here at Andy. Reed, And, you know, he hasn't been as many places or even coached for as long as as Dusty has. But at the same time, you know, it's definitely a big part of his legacy to win that Super Bowl. Now, I'm actually going to go with Kyle Shanahan here just because, you know, that 28 to 3 loss is such a stain on his legacy where Reed you know even if he were to retire without a Super Bowl yes it would it would evade him from being considered one of the best coaches of all time you know he'd probably be a, a rung down from you know some of the greats but mm-hmm. at the same time with Shanahan, he just has such that a stain on his legacy right now that the only way to erase that is to come back and win a Super Bowl. And if you know he, something were terrible to happen in, in this one, where you know they blow another lead, you know that's going to become his narrative, yeah. and, and that's going to make it only harder for him to you know turn things around and, and eventually win a Super Bowl. So I'm going to go with Shanahan just because he's having to overcome so much, but I, I can see it both ways.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and like you were saying, if Shanahan gets out to another lead and it gets blown, I wouldn't be that surprised if it came at the hands of this Chiefs team, uh ones yes. that have overcome 24 nothing deficits, 10 nothing, 17-7 deficits in the AFC Championship game to the Titans as well. Um but I'm going to I'm going to go on the opposite side with you here. I'm I'm going to go Andy Reid. I agree there's a lot riding for both of them. Um and and kind of it dates back to the the last time that we saw Andy Reid in the Super Bowl. And, you know, we were young kids back in that day, but the Eagles taking on the Patriots... Uh, And this has kind of been the biggest stain for Andy Reid throughout his, you know, lengthy career, is he's not great with clock management. And in the second half of that Super Bowl, there were constant uh, poor decisions made in that second half that allowed the Patriots to be able to win that Super Bowl and, of course, carry on what has been their two-decade-long reign as a dynasty in the NFL, one of the greatest sports dynasties of all time. To me, you know, I I look at the 28-3 lead, and I I know Kyle Shanahan, you know, made some tough uh some 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 bad play calls in that second half that let the Patriots creep back in and gave them more opportunities. But at the same time, he did get that team out to a a, a three plus possession lead. You know, it wasn't like he was bad from start to finish. That first half, they were phenomenal on offense, and of course, on the flip side too. Yes, the defense was also phenomenal, only you know allowing New England to score three points. So I kind of look at it as both ways. It was a massive collapse for the offense, not being able to do anything and really keep New England off the field with prolonged drives. But at the same time, Dan Quinn's defense, who was which was a very good defense that season, let them creep back into a point where. I don't put all the blame on Shanahan. Now, it is a big stain on his career, but at the end of the day, I think he's got so much time left as a head coach in the NFL where we can we can both understand. Andy Reid's time is not, you know, his clock is ticking on when he's going to decide to hang it up. Um, I think Shanahan... With how he's been able to turn around this team from, you know, the second overall pick this past year into being in the Super Bowl, I'm not really too worried about Shanahan losing in this game because I do believe he is going to be one of the more successful head coaches for the next decade plus. And so, given Reed has, uh, you know, a ticking, you know, his, his career is on the clock, I'm going to put more pressure on him and it's more important for Reed to get this victory on Sunday.
1: Yeah, like I said, I understand where you're coming from. It's just like, I get that, you know, it was a kind of a team loss in that Super Bowl. Both sides the state, Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, and, and it was obviously the defense that was getting scored on. So you have to fault them for, you know, uh, actually letting the Patriots get back into things. But, you know, I, I think that one thing for me is, what has Kyle Shanahan learned from that game? You know, mm-hmm. that he, he can't take his foot off the gas yeah. pedal. I want to see him do that all the way through. And even if they don't blow it, I mean, and, and they just lose outright, you know, you could say that this whole season, uh, you know, they went all the way to the bitter end, but then took their foot off the gas pedal for the last game. You know, I well, think that there's just, I, I I get the whole legacy thing. And yes, you know, Randy Reid's 61 years old. He's only going to have so many years ahead of him uh, to continue coaching, but he does have Patrick Mahomes. You know, this is Mm -hmm. an offense that is going to be among the best in football for the next decade. I feel like if anybody is going to be able to have multiple chances to do it, it's going to be the
0: Chiefs. Yeah, that's a good point. We are, not you know, it's it's not, you know, if we're placing who do you think is going to have more opportunities to win a title, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid or Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan, I I would probably say, you know, Mahomes' greatness probably – so comes that just because, you know, he's in his second year as a starter and he's been phenomenal mm-hmm. in every postseason game he's ever played. And and that's a great transition to our next topic As you take a look at these quarterbacks. Uh, both have had very different postseasons. Of course, both were very good in the regular season. Both kind of flew under the radar, but were carrying very winning teams throughout the regular season. So far this postseason, Patrick Mahomes has been amazing. You know, in his postseason, he's, you know, career wise, he's got 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Meanwhile, Jimmy Garoppolo has had to throw eight 12-pass attempts a game and has let the rush game take it, uh, you know, its hands away. So, Matt, at the end of the day, this game is going to go in, in one of two different ways. You know, it's it's going to be uh, San Francisco can hold Kansas City off the field, but they've got the, short, the, the quick score ability to really uh, make up for not, you know, maybe winning the time of possession battle. Both these quarterbacks are going to have a lot of pressure on them who needs to perform at a higher level in order for their team to secure the win?
1: I think it's got to be Patrick Mahomes. And I say that because when Patrick Mahomes is at his best, the Chiefs are unstoppable. Mm -hmm. And I I think this 49ers team is as good as any team that the Chiefs have faced so far this year, uh, both in the postseason and the regular season. So Mahomes is going to have to be at his best. Not to say that the rest of the Chiefs team are schmucks, but they don't run the ball at all. I mean, you know, Damon Williams is definitely a feisty running back. breaks some tackles. I was actually a big fan of him going into the year. Didn't put up the the best numbers, but we have seen time and time again in big games Andy Reid just completely abandon the run game and go with Mahomes. So I feel like... The pressure is on Mahomes here uh, to come out strong and win this game because the 49ers are just such a complete team that they can really attack you any way they want. Uh, and you know, we could see big game from Raheem Mostert. We could see a big game from uh, the pass rush on the San Francisco side. There's just so many ways that they can win a football game that it doesn't have to come down to Jimmy G. So I'm going to go with Mahomes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, Mahomes is is that offense, and of course, they've got talented wide receivers and great tight end sure. play and a serviceable run game as well too. Um, I, I more so tend to lead to Jimmy Garoppolo because unlike these last two games that they've played in the postseason, where they jumped out to massive leads over the Vikings and the Green Bay Packers, and we're just able to run the ball for 60 minutes, you, I, I just don't see them being able to do that. I don't think that this 49ers defense, and I'll talk about this when we go into our predictions, I don't think that they can stop this passing offense. And so at the end of the day, I think that this might be a a pretty lofty, you know, I think the Chiefs can at least put up a decent amount of points. And then the pressure is going to be on for Jimmy Garoppolo to start throwing the ball a lot more than he has in these last two games. And if the clock is ticking and they're down a score or 10 points, does he have enough to to make those pass attempts? He's had a few great games this year offensively. You know, I think back to the Saints game when him and Breeze were going back and forth for a full 60 minutes and George Kittle came alive and Debo Samuel was very good in that game as well too. But I just think with how much, how quick the Chiefs can put up points, I, I'm I feel like we're going to need a lot more out of Jimmy Garoppolo this Sunday than he's shown us uh, so far in the postseason.
1: Yeah, I think there's a over a stigma across football fandom right now that Jimmy Garoppolo is some kind of schmuck. Uh, And that he, you know, can't come through in big games and has never done it before, can't be relied on for a fourth quarter, you know, comeback drive. And I just don't think any of that's true. I think that... As of right now, Garoppolo is certainly capable. We've seen him do it time and time again. You've, you mentioned the Saints game, uh, but he, he's come through down the stretch. You know, when the offense really took a step forward and started dropping, you know, 30 plus point games pretty consistently, we really saw the offense just transform and Garoppolo is a big part of that now he's had plenty of games where you know he only had to throw 150 yards I mean week 17 or or against the Packers he only threw 77 I get it Mm -hmm. like he wasn't he wasn't needed uh in that game same with the game before only 19 pass attempts which before last week was his season low so you know overall they really haven't needed Garoppolo in these two games and it kind of just shows you how dangerous this offense can be though is that they didn't need him And when they do, they pull him out and he does well. I mean, he had, uh, I think it was six games with at least... Uh, at least 110 passer rating, eight games with at least 110 passer rating this year Uh, you know he's certainly been able to turn on the Jets when he needs to they've got a good young receiving core that he's able to look to I just don't think that as much as I believe that Mahomes is capable of jumping out to this lead I really do believe in this 49ers defense is one that's going to give it fits I mean we've seen Mm -hmm. them come out of the gate slow in this postseason uh, to the point where like you said they were trailing in all three all of those games uh and so i wouldn't be surprised if we saw the chiefs uh fall behind early and have to start throwing the ball very consistently in order to catch up because the 49ers are just so capable of setting the tone of controlling the clock M- moster is going to be running all over the place i mean this this chiefs defense we we've talked about it before Very, very underrated and in a quality group uh, with some really good players. And I do believe that they are going to be able to put up a good fight against the 49ers. I just do feel like at the end of the day, the 49ers are going to be able to do what they want to do. Kyle Shanahan is that kind of coach who's going to be able to set up a scheme where they're going to be able to control the clock. It's a question of whether the the, uh, quick strike offense of Kansas City is able to overcome that.
0: Mm-hmm. And look, I'm not trying to say that I believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is a bad quarterback. I think he's a very good quarterback. My thing, and it comes back to, I guess, what everybody thought heading into this season or the season before, is like we just haven't seen a scenario where Jimmy Garoppolo has the pressure on him. It is a winner go home scenario, and he is, you know, down a touchdown or two. We haven't seen that yet. We've seen it with Mahomes all throughout this postseason. Garoppolo, in these winner go home scenarios, has dealt with comfortable leads where he hasn't had to do much. And so. It does depend. I think this first quarter of the game is going to be very telling. If the 49ers can get up a 13 or 14 to nothing, then yes, this will be a tough uphill battle for the Kansas City Chiefs. But at the same time, if Kansas City is able to make this you know, 10-7 in the first quarter or even jump out to a two-possession lead, I think it's going to be very tough for Jimmy Garoppolo to dig himself up out of that hole.
1: Yeah. I I get it, and certainly he hasn't done it in the playoffs before, and it's a different animal to do it in January, do it in December, than it is during the regular season. Uh, But, you know, at the same time, I don't think – a player should necessarily be doubted for the fact right. that they've never done it before. I think they should be doubted once they do it and fail. Gotcha. You know, I think mm-hmm. a, a player should be given at least the benefit of the doubt that they can come into this game, especially a player, you know, who's paid the amount uh, that Garoppolo is, who's shown the potential uh, that Garoppolo has. I just think that it, it was almost like everybody saw all the hype, bought in, then he got hurt and everyone soured on him. And I'm not saying you're doing this necessarily, I'm just saying mm-hmm. overall that, like, everyone's just kind of forgotten how hyped up everybody was when Garoppolo really got going with the 49ers and went 5-0 and in that second half of the season with a bad team around him uh, you know that was not a good team they played themselves out of a top draft pick because of how well Garoppolo played down the stretch so uh, before that they were slated to have a top 5 pick in the upcoming draft so it's not like he was playing with, a, with this great cast of characters and now you know he's got just so many weapons both offensively and defensively at his disposal I just feel like the pressure isn't necessarily on him to get it done when you know they can scheme things to the point where make they can make his life easier.
0: So it's going to be a, it's going to be a great um, it's going to be a great game. I think you know despite there not being a lot of stories coming out this week, both have very good teams, and honestly. From start to finish of the season, if you look in both the AFC and the NFC, probably the most consistent, you know, the Chiefs did dip down a little bit when Mahomes was hurt, but consistently from start to finish of the season, both these guys have been humming on offense, defensively. Of course, we've talked about the Chiefs and their much improved defense with Steve Spagnola. Um, Matt, I I feel like we're going to think a little bit differently about this. What is your pick? How do you see the Super Bowl playing out and uh, who's going to hoist the Lombardi Trophy Sunday night?
1: Well, my preseason pick was the Chiefs, uh, and you know I felt pretty good about that going into the playoffs. They've been playing incredibly well, so I'm going to stick with it. There you I, I just, I, I mean, we kind of forgot how good Patrick Mahomes was because of Lamar Jackson and the injury yeah. that Mahomes had, and and uh, you know just the national media in general. I mean, we had people. I mean, like I said, I work I work at NBC Sports Washington. They cover the Ravens, so I have some you know Lamar. Uh, whatever the word is, uh loyalists some people were bringing up the conversation of who would you rather have moving forward Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and I think anybody who didn't say Patrick Mahomes was on crack because there's no way uh, (laughs) that you would want any quarterback moving forward other than Patrick Mahomes he is the best quarterback in football we had a debate at the beginning of the year Blake uh, of who were the best quarterbacks in the NFL and I wasn't ready to put Mahomes in my top three I knew he had a great season but I wanted to see him do it again he has Hmm. done it again he is the best quarterback in football and I think that is going to be the big. Biggest difference maker in this game
0: yeah okay so we actually agree there so so i've got i've got the chiefs and to be quite honest with you i've got the chiefs winning by double digits i think that this is wow. a a pretty easy win um and the biggest reason and i want to bring this up because this is kind of my insight on how the chiefs are just i i think that they're going to be you know they're going to torch this defense that has been so good all season um offensively uh kansas city speed kills And the 49ers are one of the most zone-heavy teams on defense this entire season. And they don't have the speed on the outside to match up with these guys. The Kansas City offense, when they're running RPO, which this season they are the number one team in terms of how many plays that they've run, run run-pass option. When you are in RPOs, you have to play man-to-man because you are going to lose one of those guys back through the cracks if you run a zone and you get beat because they, they, they fake the run and then go into a pass. So that mixed with the speed the chiefs or the 49ers are going to have to go into a man uh, a man coverage defense which they are not comfortable doing this season. And look, Richard Sherman, the back end of that defense has been good this season, but not they, they do not have the top end speed to match up with a Tyreek Hill or a Michael Hardman or even Sammy Watkins. And I have a, an extreme concern with the number 2 corner position. Uh you know, Richard Sherman may be able to hold his own. I would Probably maybe try and even put him on Sammy and get one of your faster corners on Tyreek and Miko. It'll be interesting to see how they move Richard Sherman around in that game. I just I don't see this defense being able to keep up with the speed on offense and and the other thing about this the front 7 for the 49ers is unbelievable. It is so talented. But Mahomes is one of those quarterbacks, he could do a 10-step ten st- ten drop back every play and not lose any range on how far he can throw the ball. So if, if he has to just keep moving back further to avoid pressure and, and say that you know Nick Bosa is coming around the edge and and you know beats the left tackle, Mahomes can take a few steps back and, and evade that like other quarterbacks can't because the quarterbacks don't have the arm of Patrick Mahomes. Um, I, I think as well as the 49ers offense may perform, I don't think this is going to be a great game for their defense. And I've got the Chiefs just like you, man. I-, I got the Chiefs winning, and I think by double digits.
1: Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I know the spread right now is San Francisco minus one, so Vegas is certainly expecting it uh, to be a close one. By all means, I, I do think it's going to be a-, a good game. I mean, we've we've been kind of spoiled the past couple years. We've had some good Super Bowls, mm-hmm. although we did go through kind of a stretch there before that when we had some duds. So uh, you know, we definitely deserved it, but. Overall, I do feel like that the 49ers are going to control things early. They're going to set that tone, and the Chiefs are once again going to find themselves behind. But, you know, when it comes to the fourth quarter, Mahomes just has a, a whole other level that he can turn on, and I think we're going to see him fully unleashed. I mean, you know, the loss of Kobe Bryant this week has. Uh, you know, sent a lot of emotions through my head and, you know, just been trying to process everything. And one thing that I'm kind of taken out of this and that I want to better appreciate moving forward. It's just watching players in their primes. You know, you you feel like a player's career can just be over before you know it. And we kind of grew up with just Kobe always playing. uh, And, you know, he obviously retired a couple of years ago, but uh, it always just felt like he was always there and always was going to be. And then one day he was playing his last game and scored 60 points and his entire career had just kind of passed you by. So uh, right now we are looking at Patrick Mahomes, maybe even before his prime, which is pretty pretty damn scary I agree. to think about but we are seeing a guy who's perfected his craft and at his best in one of the biggest games of his career uh this weekend so i just want to be able to appreciate what mahomes is going to do because it's it's always special it's just he's a special player he's a special talent i love watching him he's, he's just got such great energy both on and off the field and uh, i really i really just love watching you know talent uh, perform on on such a high level and in such a big stage. Mm-hmm.
0: I I completely agree. You don't have to tell me. I've since uh, the the off season before he was drafted, and I know we weren't really close then. Uh, in, in terms of uh, on even probably knowing each other but every guy that I talked to about sports that offseason, I told them Patrick Mahomes was going to be the next big thing I've cashed in on bets of 5 10 dollars with my friends that I uh, dormed with my freshman year uh, they they I, one of my friends I'm a just he he's comfortable with me sharing this he uh you know he was talking to me and I was, I kept talking up Patrick Mahomes and I said dude he is going to be amazing he's going to be amazing and and my friend goes all right I, I will bet you I'll bet you twenty dollars that he does not become one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. And we were thinking that I am gonna get the payout of this bet ten years down the road. And then sure enough, he <laughs> he paid me last year after Patrick Mahomes won MVP. So pretty pretty good setup. I, I love him. He he's he's easily from sport from all three sports that I that I pay attention to and Matt, I'll talk to you and Tom about this some other time. I'm starting to get a little bit more into hockey, so maybe maybe Tom won't Look hate me that. as much there. But um, okay. even though you kinda, still won't
1: consider it the Big Four, no, I
0: won't. I won't. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, Patrick Mahomes is the most fun athlete in my eyes to watch right now. He is can't miss television. I'm excited to see him, and hopefully he can bring home his first Super Bowl. And hopefully for Andy Reid too, man. I'm I'm really pulling for the Chiefs, and I do think that the way they've got this offense set up, and I think I think it's a really favorable match. Um, you know. Against this 49ers defense.
1: Yeah, these were two teams that I was kind of rooting for going into the playoffs. So I, I'm kind of bummed that they're facing off against each other because, you know, I was, until I put some money down, I didn't know who to root
0: for. <laughs> there you uh,
1: go. You know, between these two teams. So uh, obviously I'm now financially invested in the Chiefs, uh, as well as Tails for the coin toss and the over <laughs> for uh, the um, uh, Anthem. Nice. Uh, I forget what I forget what the time was. One fifty six. Okay. Okay. So one fifty six. On that, Demi Lovato is going now. I was listening to. Uh, I know I've been plugging my, my work the whole show today, but <laughs> uh, we have a show called The Daily Line, and uh, the guys on there we're talking about the uh, over-under for that, and they actually brought somebody on to talk about the anthem, and he was going on about how Demi Lovato has kind of lost her touch as far as that final note at the end of songs. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently she sang at the Grammys and, like, really cut it short, but they uh-huh. think that they're go- there's going to be some kind of instruments uh, involved where that's Ooh. going to elongate things. So... Uh, that, that was kind of what was the tipping point for me. So just a little nugget for you all, uh, take the over, uh, Hmm. on that Blake. Also real quick last thing on the, the Bowl. If, uh, did you see the prop bet for the color of Gatorade? Uh, Oh, that, the bath will be what what's, what are you going with
0: if it's not red I, i'll be extremely confused we've got two teams that both sport the color red as their primary color of course one of them will be wearing white obviously as as that we can't have a total red game out there but if it's not red gatorade i'd be surprised and i bet i'm trying to think i bet blue gatorade last year and i ended up being purple i think so i bet that on last year's super bowl but i, I definitely have some money on red this year
1: I'm I'm feeling purple, man. You I don't are. know. It was it was plus seven hundred odds. Wow. And everything else. There was only one there was like there was one other one that was plus a thousand. Um, but it was a a very unlikely color. I'm trying to remember what it was clear, Um, but yeah, I think it was like water or something. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they're going to be a water bath, but I don't know. Purple's a sneaky, good pick for me. I mean, with those kinds of odds, like, you know, I I might throw a couple bucks that way. I haven't made the bet yet. I don't think it's on Bovada. So I gotta, I have to figure out what site it's on. I just saw it on Twitter. Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that and I feel like purple is just like, it's a go-to color, uh, and like. I feel like if you're going to give somebody a Gatorade bath, like, purple just stands out. The photos are going to be sick. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is planned ahead of time to have the, the right color Gatorade there. Uh, there might be some insider trading with betting. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I, I'd i be going purple. I do I do think the red pick is definitely the safest bet. Yeah. Uh, like you said, both both teams are red, but... Uh, I think I think there's a, some sneaky good value in purple.
0: Hey, I, I don't blame you. And yeah, I feel like they have to have multiple different kinds of Gatorade. I don't think all 53 men and coaches are all going to drink the same color Gatorade, the same flavor. So I got to think that it's kind of just whatever bucket gets grabbed first. So uh, hopefully hopefully that'll be a red one for me. Maybe it'll be a purple one for you. But uh, I, I was glad that you were going in that direction because I was going to ask you before we transitioned. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean we
1: had we had to talk some betting exactly because we, we haven't had our degenerates
0: we are a de- also
1: i'm looking at uh jerseys right now uh because you mentioned the red on red i wish the 49ers would uh bring back that gold oh dude uh, jersey dude they should they should go gold versus red that, that would, would be, be nice sick.
0: that would look really cool this is gonna be a good uniform even if uh i think the the 49ers were trying to petition for their all-whites that they wore in Week 17. I think that against mm-hmm. the Chiefs, right, would be really cool. So I think this is a good yeah. good uniform matchup for sure. Definitely. All right, so let's move on. We've got our Super Bowl picks in. I, I'm excited to watch it. it, it you know, it's, it's one of those things. Last weekend, I, I don't watch the Pro Bowl, so I was very sad to not have football. So I'm really going to yeah, cherish Yeah, I think I watched
1: like three snaps. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: exactly, yeah. So I'm excited to watch the Super Bowl. I'm sad that it'll be over. But uh, fortunately, we still, got, we still got, you know, other things going on some of us may be interested in the xfl but of course the nba yeah cardale jones and the dc defenders man oh jeez oh wow you are really excited i was not expecting <laughs> I'm, that <laughs> i'm going to a
1: game oh <laughs> no shit we we've already uh we've already i forget what when it is i think it's next month
0: oh damn uh, that's my awesome. buddies from
1: work and i are all going that's so uh, i'm i'm buying in man hopefully well, it's, it's not a terrible product but uh yeah i thought you know why not
0: well, we, we won't be talking about the XFL yet. We'll, we'll save that for if it the big of, five. Yeah. Yeah. The big five. <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell Tom that it's the big four with the XFL. With The XFL. Yeah.
1: Uh, no, I actually, okay. Real quick. So our, I know we talk about our buddy Tom a lot. Um, he, he had a job interview and I think he'd be fine with me saying this too, but he had a job interview and he had to fill out like a form, uh, in DC. He ended up getting this job. Um, but he had to fill out a form and it was a bunch of questions of just about D.C. in general, uh, you know, like who's are the representatives and all that kind of stuff. And one of the questions was, uh, who are uh, the like five major sports teams hmm. uh, in the in the area? And he wrote down the Redskins, the Wizards, uh, the Defenders, the Mystics and then uh, the Caps. Wait, completely, he completely,
0: completely yeah. forgot
1: the the defending World Series champion, oh, Washington Nationals, my who, God. like, I mean, they're the talk of D.C. right now, obviously. Like, the fact that he left that off, he just, he told me afterwards, he's like, dude, you're going to hate uh, me for this, but I listed the top five D.C. teams, and he put the Defenders and the Mystics, who the Mystics are the defending WNBA champs. They're, right. no, they're no slumps. but The Defenders like, is
0: the big one. He, he just... Yeah, like, are you serious? Oh, Jesus. That's amazing. <laughs> I'll have to give him some shit for that. I'll shoot him a text after the episode, but, uh, wow. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to our, some basketball talk. The love of my life. I wish he was a Nick. He's unfortunately a Pelican. It could have been been what could have been Zion Williamson, uh, has made his debut in the NBA. He's got four games under his belt right now. Um, this of course being recorded Wednesday night, the 29th coming out to you guys, January 30th, Thursday morning. Through four games, Zion, 18 points a game on 63% shooting, uh, 66% (coughs) shooting from three. He's also racking up 8.3 rebounds per game, one and a half assists. And, uh, and really has shown some great plays. Of course, his debut, and, and they've slowly been bringing him along in terms of minutes and production, how long they're keeping him out there at once. Uh, I, I watched his debut. I've watched I've watched three of his games um, since he's come back. There was one that I missed. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, but, anyways, that that first game, everybody through the first three quarters was like, yeah, I, I guess it was okay. Zion Williamson was back, and then he rattled off 17 straight points for the Pelicans in that fourth quarter. Of course, then Alvin Gentry took him out. They ended up losing that game, so it kind of you know just let it die down a little bit. How great of a a fourth quarter it was. But now we've got the the, the number one overall pick, the you know projected best prospect that we had coming out of college since lebron james and i know there are a few people that always get that name along the way but zion really has you know the the full array of tools in terms of athleticism size uh you know iq in there as well too um and now we're here we've got about a week of play matt i want to i want to hear your thoughts what have you thought about zion williamson so far in, in in limited action
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been hard to evaluate him given the short spurts that he's been playing. Now, he has been building up his minutes, Mm -hmm. played 18 his first game, then he played 20, then 27, and then 25 uh, against the Cavs the other night. And, you know, A couple of, you know, if you look just at the point totals, uh, he's had a couple of good games, but as, you know, they ramped up the minutes, he, you know, he hasn't actually matched that 22 points that he scored uh, in his first game. So certainly the uh, production per minute, as far as pure scoring goes, has been going down. But, you know, Zion's having to deal with a lot. I mean, you know, he's still 19 years old, which is just crazy to think about. And, you know, he had to relearn how to walk again. They're, they're trying to get him to better manage his weight and size and how he moves, uh, rather than, you know, try to actually force him to, you know, cut weight or anything like that. Uh, which is pretty crazy to, to think that a guy at his age, you know, is having to meet with trainers before every game so they can measure his flexibility uh, and tell him, you know, what his range of motion can be for the game. I mean, it's a it's kind of crazy to think about, you know, we, we just kind of live our lives and move how we move. But he literally has to think in the back of his mind like, oh, I can't, you know, make that kind of cut yet. Or, oh, I can't, uh, you know, spin a uh, pivot off that foot th- that way. You know, he kind of has to uh, really r- adjust his thinking, so he's not able to just go out there and ball, so I'm not holding mm-hmm. too much stock uh, in the numbers that we're seeing right now, but one thing that I do think is interesting is uh, he's been playing a majority of his minutes as the five, which is, is, you know, with his size you'd think, okay, that makes perfect sense. He's like Shaq incarnate, right? But, you know, he's only six six, which, yeah. of course, I'm saying <laughs> only six six. but the, the just the Pelicans themselves have five players who are listed as taller than him on the roster, uh, including Force centers, and he's been playing a majority of his minutes as that true center, which tells you that the Pelicans are looking at playing some kind of small ball style offense similar to what the Warriors did with Draymond Green being the true five even though he was kind (laughs) of more of a power forward than you know what you'd come to expect out of a seven foot center these days somebody who just grabs rebounds they're relying relying on him to be that playmaker be that kind of guy who can switch off of of different players and play that defense and they've had pretty good results so far I mean the the team overall has gone two and two in his four games so far but I I think more just seeing him uh, you know have these highlight real plays and uh the offense, you know, having the, the kind of production that it's having with him on the floor, it's certainly an encouraging sign.
0: Yeah, I agree. And first off, you're talking about the walk. I, I love the guy. And I understand they have their reasons for it. He looks so stupid when he walks. Oh my yeah. God. It <laughs> it looks ridiculous. But uh not not even just Figuring out all of that stuff, also his fit in this offense. I mean, the the weeks leading up to this, uh, you know, his return or I guess his NBA debut. Brandon Ingram was putting out some of the best scoring numbers in the league. Lonzo Ball had been churning in some of the highest three point percentage shooting over the last several weeks, and so then you're fitting in this guy who. You know, heading into the season, you would assume would have been the number one guy. The offense would have run through him. And now you've got some of these other players, and especially Brandon Ingram is a guy I take a look at. Like, it seems like the scoring and the offense should run through him at this point. And you're kind of balancing, well, what is this offense really going to look like? We were just getting into a groove. They're on a really nice win streak. Brandon Ingram was, you know, having lights out performances. And now we've got to figure in how to fit this guy into the offense. And it hasn't been, you know pretty at all you know always there have been some clunky possessions or stretches of play uh, with him out on the field but I agree it's I know I wanted to talk about you know Zion in the first week but it's kind of the conversation it it is really too soon to tell Uh, I like what I see his athleticism is just like in college it's off the charts he matches up with all of these NBA guys as well too it's not just that he's a freak athlete at the collegiate level he's a freak athlete in the NBA. Um, I, it is interesting, you know, playing his minutes at the five. I think, you know, you got a guy that's 285 pounds. Only two guys in the league are, are heavier than him. So I get putting him at the center in that position where he can body up guys in the paint. Um, and, and given his hops, he can defend some of those bigger centers as well, too. So... Look, I agree with you. Little little, you know, it's it's too early to tell, but I do like what we've been able to see. I, I guess it more so just comes to now is him getting more comfortable in the offense, them kind of figuring out the pecking order is Brandon Brandon Ingram 1A and Zion is 1B is is Zion 1A and kind of figuring out how you know, they're going to share the load on offense and then of course him just getting healthier, more comfortable in his own body and going through the rest of the season like so.
1: Yeah and that's the thing where you know I mentioned the point totals that is far and away the the least important thing that you know, you have to look at right now. Obviously it's nice to to see him scoring twenty plus points in a game, but you know, you want to be looking like what what are his instincts looking like? He's obviously shaking off a lot of rust right now. Uh you know, what is his decision when he gets the ball at the key and has to decide, you know, am I going to drive into the lane against the seven footer or am I gonna pass it out or am I gonna take the jumper from there? Uh you know, it's interesting to kind of see, you know, him having to make those quick decisions, kinda get used to the flow of things, uh, and then adjust to the speed of the game. You know, he would was in college just an absolute terror in transition uh somebody who literally if he's so he's so fast first of all uh, and somebody coming at that side but that kind of speed you just got to get the hell out of the way uh and you know the the Mm -hmm. nba that's still going to be the case i mean nobody plays defense in the nba anyway uh so i'm really not worried i'm not necessarily worried about what he's going to do in transition it's more of just when the play is set uh how does he adapt what is his passing going to look like because i think he was also a pretty underrated passer in college as well not that he really needed to pass. Uh, you know, he played the four in college, which is also very interesting that he played the four there and is now going to be playing the five. Um, right. But, you know, he was able to kind of just post up and, you know, turn around, make a J, a uh, fade away, that kind of thing. Didn't really have to make very intricate passes. But if he's going to be uh, an offensive playmaker like the Pelicans want him to be, then he's going to be handling the ball a lot. And, and you know, like you said, the the distribution of, of possession time between him and Brandon Ingram is going to be an important factor for sure sure. But I'm interested to see what he does uh, with the ball when he's not going to be shooting, uh, how he sets up other players, how he goes off the pick and roll, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's definitely, you know, you need to kind of look for the intricacies right now more than the actual output of his production.
0: Mm -hmm. And looking just away from Zion for a second and, and focusing in on Brandon Ingram a little bit, he's set to be one of the more intriguing free agency options this offseason and so now you've looked at this stretch where he's been playing at an extremely high level and now say his numbers take a little bit of a dip how is he going to want to is he going to be one of those guys that just wants to hold the ball to get his so he can get his contract or is he going to to buy in we're going to learn a lot about Brandon Ingram as the team player the guy that wants the contract and see how He develops the rest of the season in order to to hopefully get paid. And, And, you know, I would like to see him stick with the Pelicans. I know he just bounced there for a year after being traded from the Lakers. But I think the young nucleus, of course, in New Orleans is exciting when you consider Lonzo... Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, you've got your vet in there, and Drew Holiday as well too, J.J. Reddick coming off the bench. Um, It's an exciting core. It just needs time, and unfortunately, you know, they missed out on almost half a season of play without one of their top guys. So now they're fighting a little bit of an uphill battle, and you take a look at the standings. New Orleans, nineteen and twenty-nine, right now. They are four and a half games out of the eight seed in the postseason. Teams ahead of them: the Phoenix Suns, the Portland Trailblazers, Blazers, and the San Antonio Spurs. Each have twenty wins. And right now at the eight seed, currently Memphis Grizzlies, twenty-three and twenty-four. So, lot of lot of season left to play. The NBA is such a long season. Do you think if this team can get things churning, they could jump those teams and get into the postseason?
1: I mean, I think that the sky is the limit uh, with the group that they have right now you know Drew Holiday also a very yeah. underrated score uh, in that offense I think that they've got some good pieces and you know with Anthony Davis they were a team that was Perennially competing for that eighth spot uh, in the West, so certainly uh, not out of the realm of possibility. It's a question of is the combination of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson going to be better than the than what Davis brought to the table? Because that's essentially what they have right now. Uh, you know, as, as far as you know, what they essentially swapped one for the other. So I, I don't know. I, I think that. Brandon Ingram has been a a fantastic player this year and and certainly deserving of an an all-star appearance, but nobody between, you know, uh, above them really scares me Uh, up until the Mavericks, really. Uh, You know, you talk about the the Suns, the Blazers, the Spurs, Grizzlies, and Thunder, all of those teams stand between them and the seventh seed right now, Uh, and obviously they're nine games back of of that team. They're four and a half games back of the eighth seed, but uh, overall, you know, I just feel like if Zion is able to really contribute at 30-plus minutes a game... I wouldn't put it past them certainly it's a you know they might need to make a move or two at the trade deadline I don't know if they're going to be willing to do that you know David Griffin might be mm-hmm. thinking well this might just isn't our year you know Zion is still kind of coming into the league we kind of need to cool the Jets and right. play the long game here I would get that but at the same time he's never been afraid to pull the trigger obviously when he was in Cleveland he had LeBron who was you know in the second half of his career and so the there's a lot more urgency to win right now than there is with the pelicans so I'm interested to see kind of how mm-hmm how he approaches things, uh, how he wants to move forward. Uh, You know, they were just in Cleveland the other night. uh, And so obviously they, he was getting a lot of questions about his time there. uh, And, you know, I feel like it was pretty cool for him to, you know, have been let go by the Cavs uh, after, you know, uh, kind of being disgraced by the organization, almost getting the starting job with the Pelicans and then coming into their, their town while the Cavs are just in disarray. Meanwhile, the, Uh, He's got Zion at the helm. I mean, obviously, you know, they lucked into it with the lottery odds, Mm -hmm. but still, you know, that had to feel pretty damn good for him. So uh, I'm happy for David Griffin. I'm happy for Zion to to see him back on the floor. You know, John Morant has kind of been the the rookie this year uh, in terms of just the guy who's been the show so far. But we've all been kind of in a holding pattern until zion returns uh to the court so now mm-hmm. that he's back you know we, we i was just talking about this at work the other day you know the nba has felt very stagnant you know we had such a crazy off season where all of these stars were changing teams and there was a big shuffle at the top and all of a sudden the lakers and clippers are the two you know favorites to win the west and we had all of this crazy stuff and just from there and there was not really a whole lot of, you know, craziness in the NBA. And obviously with the news of Kobe that the Lakers are gonna be going into this second half with a big chip on their shoulders. I mean, you know, what what guy is going to wanna to be, you know, ass in the offseason who's on the what Lakers gonna to wanna to go in the offseason have to answer the question of why didn't you win this one for Kobe? You know, I think that right there is, is just gonna be this huge thing. Uh, for the rest of the season, but also now the infusion of Zion into the NBA scene, something that the, the, the season has been lacking as well. I mean, Zion dominated college basketball last year. He was the talk of, of college basketball. I remember the year before when Trey Young was kind of having his year uh, and, you know, he led the, the entire college basketball landscape in both points and assists per game. I, he didn't. His his name didn't pop up like Zion's did. Zion's the most hyped rookie since LeBron James, uh, and just his presence every time he blocks uh, a shot or, or hits a three or makes a dunk. I mean, we're going to be seeing that highlight rolled out all over Twitter, all over Facebook, whatever you you, you use. Uh, it's just going to kind of change the mood, and I think it's honestly good for basketball right now to be getting Zion back when this tragedy occurred because it's going to give us something to almost be like. Uh, okay, well, here's the glimmer of hope for us all uh, as as basketball mm-hmm. fans. So uh, I'm excited for what Zion's going to do. I think that the Pelicans are in a good spot. Do I know? Do I think they're going to make the playoffs? I think they have a chance, uh, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you know David Griffin opts not to add anybody at the deadline and they just kind of roll with who they have. And you know, if if they came up short, uh, you know, with how far of a hole they kind of dug themselves in to start the year, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make it.
0: Yeah, I agree, and and for me personally, I think that it's it's the eight seater bus for them. Uh, we'll have to talk about them another episode. I love this Oklahoma City Thunder team. I'm I'm obsessed with them. Um, and and oh, I don't know. Oh, man. What? 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 We will. We will we'll have talk to talk about next. this. Another we'll we'll episode. have to make this a. T- We'll talk about that next week. But I do agree, it might be an eight-seater bust for Memphis. So uh, that'll switch over. We'll move on to baseball now to finish things out. Matt, there's been so much that has happened in baseball since we last spoke uh, uh, about them on the podcast. You think about... You know, the cheating scandal, the Yankees signing Garrett Cole, free agency winding out. Uh, but the big news around the league today, uh, Chicago Cubs third baseman Chris Bryant lost his grievance, uh, ensuring that he won't become a free agent until after the 2021 season. Um Chris Bryant, five years in the league this past season. Was an all-star for the first time since 2016. Uh, Had hit his uh, 31 home runs, his most since 2016 when he hit 39 as well, too. Career batting average of .284. He's got 138 career home runs. I am taking a look at a car as they pull into me and give me another weird look. Thank you very much for shining your lights in my eyes. (laughs) Matt... (laughs) What do you make of the whole situation? Because I know there are teams that are out there interested in Chris Bryant. I know there is a situation where the Cubs might be looking to unload. How do you see this all playing out? And what were your thoughts on what's transpired today and the impact that it has moving forward?
1: So, first of all, the grievance itself, I expected the Cubs to come out on top. Uh, I believe we talked about this on a previous show, uh, but essentially... This is a discussion, you know, the manipulation of service time. Chris Bryant was one day away uh, service time-wise from uh, being eligible uh, to – hit free agency after this season. So, uh that's what was really ticking him off was that mm. they were just so blatant that they were trying to extend him another year. I mean, one year of service time uh is 172 days and he was literally at 171 when they brought him up. Uh so Jeez. or they brought him up so that he would have 171 in that first season. Uh so th- that, that was sucks. just kind of like an in your face we're doing this to keep you as long as possible as cheap as possible uh which just really sucks for uh, for him. I feel for him, but at the same mm-hmm. time, the cubs were operating under the rules set for them in the cba uh, at the end of the day yep. if you want to have this discussion it's going to be in cba talks and i fully expect that to happen uh, as we have a new cba in 2 years from now uh, or hopefully hopefully we have one in 2 years from now and not some kind of lockout because that's the way things are trending right now i'll tell you what yeah. there is no league no league right now in, in professional sports where the players union and the the owners are farther apart on uh, several key issues uh, so that is going to be something uh. that you really Need to pay attention. I know you're going to say the NFL, uh, but you know, dude, the NFL is going to be in a lockout. But that's the thing. We we just heard yesterday that the uh, players' union is going to present a draft uh, of a CBA agreement to the league, and the league is going to review it. So you know, they're already talking. I thought that I had
0: gotten. I thought I got a report today that said, in quotes, "this most like this uh, this means a lockout is coming." I'll have to look for that while you keep talking. But I agree, both yeah. leagues are definitely but very far apart. Are, so keep they're keep very far
1: apart, and you know, I, I think that that's a, a broader issue that we can, <coughs> excuse me, go into in a, on another show. But as far as what this means uh, for Chris Bryant, it makes him being traded more likely uh which is interesting because you'd think uh oh if if he won the grievance you know his his value would go down and it'd be easier for teams to acquire him but that's the thing if if you if you lose that year of eligibility and Brian only has one year left you're going to see the same thing that's been happening with the Red Sox and Mookie Betts where you know, the Red Sox are asking for a certain amount of, of value but prospect wise or what have you. Uh, and other teams are not willing to meet that because there's only one year of control involved. So now you have Bryant where you have two years where you could say, okay, we, you know, we don't make it this year. We at least have next year to, to make another run with him. Uh, you know, that's something that. Could be enticing to teams where they're willing to maybe throw in that extra bit of prospect value. Now that definitely eliminates a couple of suitors. I think the Nationals among them, uh, as, as teams that wouldn't be able to afford uh, the prospect capital that the Cubs are looking for in to acquire Bryant. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that, I think the Nats are completely off the table now. Uh, but teams like the Rangers, teams like the Braves, those are two clubs that I th- should think have already contacted Theo Epstein about trade proposals. Uh, certainly right. have. Uh, been talking with them throughout the offseason while been waiting the results of this grievance, uh, but I think that's good news for the Braves, good news for the Rangers, teams that you know really could use a third baseman, obviously uh, the Braves lost Josh Donaldson to the Twins in free agency, they weren't willing to uh, up their bidding enough to get him back meanwhile the Rangers had I think the second lowest production by OPS out of their third baseman in the entire league last year and plus they're moving into a new ballpark this year, so you would like to think that they'd like some kind of splashy guy Eye to you know, lure fans, put some butts in seats. Now they did trade for Corey Kluber earlier this offseason, but their offense lacks any kind of significant uh, firepower. So I really feel like adding Chris Bryant to that mix. I thought Donaldson or Rendon uh, were two good fits for them, but obviously they have gone other ways. So you know, I think Bryant would be kind of the last guy uh, that they could swing a trade for. Though obviously, Nolan Arenado is still out there as well, but you know, we'll see if uh, if any time the team is willing to take on that albatross of a contract that he's signed into now of course he's worth it you know don't get me wrong but uh, it's still a ton of money uh plus that opt-out that he has uh after next season or after the following season uh that has is weary for teams Mm -hmm. as well so um overall i I do think that the cubs hold on to bryant (laughs) i know i said that this makes it easier for him to be (laughs) traded but i just don't see them trading him uh you know they've been the last two off seasons have probably been so frustrating for Cubs fans because they've just been making mm. no significant upgrades. I mean, they, you know, get Craig Kimbrell midway through last year. Uh, and he obviously was terrible, but, uh, you know, they, the <laughs> whole last off season, they didn't have any significant contracts that they brought on last year or this, this past winter. I think they have signed Steven C. Souza Jr. Uh, as their largest contract, they gave him 1 million. He's a former nationals outfielder who missed <laughs> all of last season, uh, with a torn ACL, so he uh, is coming off of that, so you don't really know what you're going to be getting out of him. So if that's your your big splash of the year, uh, you might be in a a bit of a, a tough situation. So the fact that if they were to trade... Uh, Chris Bryant, that would only hurt their chances of contending even more. And the NL Central is just wide open. Uh, you know, I, I think that any any of those top teams other than the Pirates really uh, could realistically win it. Yes, even the Reds, uh, I think, are a team that, that are going to be very much in the, in the thick of things this year. So uh, I don't think they trade him because... Uh, you know, they're going to be asking for the moon. I don't know if the Braves are going to be willing to sell the farm. Don't know if the Rangers have enough of those prospects. They've got a, a pretty good farm system, but uh, to be able to afford that kind of deal, I, I don't know if it happens, but certainly him winning the grievance made a trade more likely.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So first first, I want to make sure uh, just to, to come up on what I said. I, I did see NFLPA Executive Director uh, DeMaurice Smith uh, say that they'll have to hold out to get everything they want new in the CBA, which is quote in his words going to mean a two-year strike. But we'll we'll save that for when unfortunately that might happen. But I, I agree, I agree in that. I mean, of course, this makes it easier for it to happen. But for the Cubs, and I understand the last two off seasons haven't been really amazing by any sort of means. But they could be in a far far worse place. I mean, we take a look at you know the Pirates and their situation where they've traded just about everybody. Their cap where are they at Matt they're somewhere right above 50 million in 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 payroll yeah, is that correct they
1: they now have the third lowest payroll in baseball after trading Starling Marte the other day yeah. the only two teams beneath them are the Marlins and the Orioles which is not company you want to be right
0: in. Yeah. No, and so you've got teams like that. You've got situations where even with the Red Sox, uh you know, they are, you know, talking about trading away their best player to c- clear up some cap space. And right now even the destinations it seems like you're you're not going to get a lot from the Dodgers. You might get some of their prospects. If you trade them to the Padres, you're going to have to take some salary back. So uh, there are a lot of teams in the MLB right now that are in far, far worse positions than the Cubs certainly are. So I agree to the point where, where, yes, this does make him more available for a trade. And, and I maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe it still happens, but after this season. Um, but I agree. I just think that where they're at, I, I think they're, it could be a, a lot worse for the Cubs. And I get they're going through the managerial shift now, of course. Um, and, you know, they're going to put on a new face this season. But for one of your best players, for one of your youngest players, a guy that was an MVP just, what, four seasons ago, three seasons ago? um. Mm-hmm. I I would keep holding on to him, and and maybe if things don't look great uh, after this season, you know, maybe try and move him next offseason.
1: Yeah, or even if they struggle this year, you know, at the trade deadline, he could be a player that would be interesting uh, uh to trade because, you know, teams wouldn't be looking at him as a rental. Uh, I think, honestly, you could get just as good trade value for him at the trade deadline uh, as you would right now because, mm-hmm. you know, those teams are going to be more desperate. You know, you, if you have uh, a ball club like, the, let's say, the the Braves, who just have been getting no production, Austin Riley just doesn't do well at third, uh, and they've just been really struggling. Johan Camargo is their fill-in, and, you know, he's just not really elevating their lineup. You know, Bryant might be a guy who could be, you know, one piece away uh, from making them title contenders so you might be willing to sell the farm at that point because you know you're already that close you may you maybe you're already ahead in the division or you know right in the thick of the playoff race and you you feel really good about this core uh why not just add one mm-hmm. more piece to to make to go for it and we've seen teams right. do that uh, plenty of times over the past couple of years uh you know add that one more one last piece and make a run at it you know manny machado was that for the dodgers uh when they made it all the way to the world series justin verlander was that for the astros when they won it in 2017. Uh, So overall, you know, uh, I think that the Cubs can long play this. They don't have to trade Chris Bryant yet. They can wait until they get the right offer. Uh, Theo Epstein is is so smart. Uh, And, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing where, you know, when when you hold all the cards, you have the player that other people want, you know, that's what GMs relish, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, as much fun as it is to, (coughs) sorry, I have a terrible cough right now. Um, you know, as much as teams want to be, I know as much as teams want to be in the position where they're winning every year and, you know, they're just trying to fill holes and and remain competitive, you know, I I truly think that all these Ivy League GMs just love building uh, teams from scratch uh, where they have to kind of, you know, develop these guys, look ahead a couple of years and and figure everything out. So it's almost like their vision coming through uh, in a few years through a rebuild or something like that. Not saying the Cubs are going to go into a rebuild, but, you know, this is a position where Epstein is very comfortable, you know, he doesn't have to, uh, you know, rush to trade Bryant uh, just to get a couple of prospects back. You know, they would still save some money if they traded him midseason because they wouldn't have to pay the second half of his salary. Uh, So overall, you know, they're trying to get Mm -hmm. under the luxury tax right now, uh, and that would be a big part for that. Um, But, you know, as far as trading Bryant or any of these other guys, I mean, you know, we've heard uh, rumors of them being willing to trade Wilson Contreras and Kyle Schwarber too. Uh, You know, I I don't think any of these guys get traded to start the year just because, you know, you have this Cubs core that's obviously been disappointing over the past couple of years. I mean, they've, you know, taken a step back each season since they won the World Series. You know, since they won it in 2016, Mm -hmm. uh, the following year uh, they lost in the NLCS. Then the year after that they lost in the wildcard game. And then last year they missed the playoffs altogether. Uh, They were in that second wildcard spot before the Nationals leapfrogged them. Obviously, Washington went on to win the World Series, but uh, Chicago just really faded. down the stretch including a, a series against the Nats in which they got swept uh, and that's that's what really put the National I believe that was in uh late August uh, and and that's what really gave the Nationals confidence you know they swept the Cubs they ended up like a one game back of them uh, after that series going into the final month of the year and from there Washington just went on a tear and uh, obviously did what it did but overall you know this is a cubs team with a, a promising core the pitching staff is, is a little bit older now but we saw you Darvis turn things around last year to the point where maybe we weren't sure if he still had it in him uh, after his first year in chicago didn't go so well john lester is a guy who at, le- at the very least eats some innings for you and give you solid production maybe kyle Hendricks and jose quintana can go back to their previous forms you know they they didn't, weren't necessarily bad last year but they weren't mm-hmm. great either and then they're going to have a, a competition for that fifth spot you'd think that Tyler Chatwood is kind of the guy but you know we'll see what happens but you know I just mentioned all those hitters too Schwarber, Contreras, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez of course I mean you know there's some very good hitters on this lineup it's a deep lineup especially in the National League uh, you know you're not competing with the likes of uh, a Yankees lineup that has literally every position with a 20 to 30 hmm. homer guy uh, you know this is this is the NL where pitching kind of rules so if you can have a really good offense you know that might be a way where for you to gain an advantage over everybody else it's just a kind of a question of the offense performing at its potential and certainly if you take Chris Bryant out of that equation they're not going to do that
0: right and and this is going back a little bit to something that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to touch on waiting till that trade deadline till someone is desperate to be that one piece away that to me is where the Braves will come in obviously winning the division last year uh, not being able to advance that far in the postseason the division is going to be tougher this year and it was competitive last year as well too but the Nats are a very good team coming back as well too the Philly should be improved upon what they were last year. They bring in guys like Didi Gregorius, of course, now with Joe Girardi at the helm as well too. And then if the Mets, I know they've had to restructure things in the last few weeks with who is running the team, but they're another team that if they can take the next step up there as well too, they'll be in the thick of things. So if it is a competitive race in there, I think Atlanta would be the team to jump the gun at the deadline and say, we are going to sell the house to get this one piece to put us over the top.
1: And I just want to say, you know, I, I do preseason predictions at the start of the year and I'm, I'm not ready to commit a a lot of different ways as to, you know, who's doing what, but I'm going to tell you right now, I have the reds in the playoffs uh, this, this roster, man, I mean, uh, obviously Eugenio Suarez just, uh, had a swimming pool accident and his status for opening day is in question. So right now that's, that's pretty big because he was their best offensive player last year, but just running through, uh, some of the guys, uh, that they acquired, Mike Moustakis is now going to be playing second base. Nick Castellanos just signed, I believe at the end of last week. Uh, he is now going to be their starting right Mm -hmm. fielder. Uh, Shogo Akiyama, who they signed out of Japan, their first ever, uh, Asian player, uh, signee, at least out of Asia, uh, that they've ever had in the history of their franchise. They were the last team, uh, that had never done it. Uh, he is now going to be their starting center fielder, which pushes their top prospect, or, you know, he was, he exceeded rookie limits last year, but, uh, Nick Senzel, who was supposed to be their center fielder, kind of struggled in the second half. He's going to get some more seasoning down in the minor league level. You obviously have Joey Votto in there. The pitching staff very young, but you have Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bra- Bauer at the top. They bring in Wade Miley as an innings eater. I like that move. They have Desclafani, uh, who once again an innings eater. So uh, this rotation is enough to get it done. Arizel Glacius is a very underrated closer, and Michael Lorenzen as, as a setup man. I love it. I, I just think this roster, top to bottom, is built to win now. And the NL Central, mm-hmm. you know, the the Brewers' whole team is going to look completely different next year. I think t- they lost twenty. 20- 22 players out of their 40-man roster uh, to free agency this past winter. So that is just a um, significant overhaul uh, into so many guys where you just have kind of no idea what to expect out of the Brewers. I mean, they have Christian Jelic, so and, and uh, Lorenzo Cain, so you can't count them out, uh, but they, they lost... Um, Mike Mustakis uh, and Yasmani Grandal, who were two main contributors to that offense last year, so you don't know what they're going to do. Uh, you know they made the wildcard game last year. You obviously uh, have the Cubs, who we mentioned, as a team that just hasn't been able uh, to live up to you know that potential. Uh, I, I just think that the NL Central is just wide open right now. You know, I I really do, and mm. I think that the Reds, uh, you know, Cardinals obviously made it to the NLCS. They they, they deserve a, a mention here as well. Uh, as a team that certainly has a is a threat to do it, but they're by no means, you know, a perennial contender, uh, and they lost Marcelo Zuna, uh, who was one of their top hitters, and, and they really haven't replaced him uh, mm. in, with throughout free agency either. I mean, you know, if you look at their lineup for right now, they have Paul Goldschmidt and, and Yadier Molina, but first of all, Molina's old and really hasn't been producing at the level he used to, who is, is that number two guy to kind of provide that punch in the lineup? I mean, Goldschmidt is going to have to draw a ton of walks because, I mean, they're just going to pitch around him all day. I mean, is it Harrison Bader, uh, Tommy Edmond, Dexter Fowler? Like, none of those names. Matt Carpenter? None of those names really pop out to you as somebody who can really stand out where I just feel like... Top to bottom, the Reds are just such a complete-looking team. Not ready to say that they're going to win the division just yet. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to hold off because I've, I've jumped the gun yeah. on teams like this before. Uh, but I do think that the Reds are a serious threat this year uh, in that uh, I do think they're going to be in the playoffs.
0: I like it. I like hearing that, especially this early on. I know we've got a lot of time until the season kicks off, but we've got two weeks until pitchers and catchers report. Uh, so we'll be getting through, Can't of course, wait. moving on and getting ready for the baseball season. Um, but Matt, unless there's anything else that you wanted to say left on this, I think uh, I think we've 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 basically covered all three uh, of our major sports here.
1: Yeah, for it's been good to you know talk all three. Major I know. We obviously, ha- we had the Kobe episode last week, uh, and before I think we did two straight just football podcasts. So it's been yep. good to kind of get back into the swing of you know talking some basketball, talking some baseball, uh, really just you know hitting all the big topics. And Blake, it's just it's been good getting back in the swing of things, man. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
0: I know. Yeah, and it doesn't matter where we're recording from. We get the podcast out, and you all hopefully enjoy right. it. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we will be coming back next week for you. Make sure to follow our work over on Twitter. I'm at Blake Andrew Pace. Matt is over at ByMattWyrick. Uh, Matt, any any last words before we send off? I know we've got a, a fun weekend coming with Super Bowl week.
1: Uh, go Chiefs, uh, for my wallet's sake, and I uh, yeah. hope you all – enjoy uh your wings real quick blake what is the one staple food uh that has to be at your super bowl party
0: can i say bush light
1: (laughs) i think we'll (laughs) count it i think we'll count it i was gonna go go with wings but uh that's definitely up there (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, yeah, mine, mine is usually wings, or I'm a big chicken wing. I'm a big chicken wing dip guy too. It, you know, I, I love some good chicken wing dip with some Tostitos. Uh, but I, I'd say, I'd say wings from B Dubs is a is a guarantee that I need that.
1: <laughs> All right, man. well, enjoy the game. I'm sure we'll be talking throughout the weekend um, yeah. as to what's going on. But uh, looking forward to uh, talking with you again uh, for next week.
0: Yeah, sounds good, man. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much again for listening. From Matt Wyrick, I'm Blake Pace. We will talk to you next week. Peace.